0: Welcome to Interpod, a podcast by Intrapride, where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA plus community. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. In honor of Lesbian Visibility Week, we speak to prominent lesbian-identified voices who have made history and are continuing to empower and advance LGBTQIA rights around the world. Here's Pat Tejans and her wife, Michelle Zhang.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Michelle Zhang. Um, my pronouns is uh, she/her. I um, come from uh, China, Southwest. I grew up in Southwest China, and uh, I, I was an attorney in China, practicing law for almost ten years before I moved back to uh, San Jose. So I'm now a community builder, um, uh, doing community uh, building work with Chinese immigrant community here in uh, Bay Area.
2: And my name is Pat Tejans. Um, I'm originally from San Jose, California. I lived in China, um, where I met Michelle for almost seven years. Uh, and we are both actually also small business owners. I'm also very active in community building work um, as a co founder of Michelle's nonprofit, um, the Society of Hearts Delight for the Chinese immigrant community. And I'm also a board member of the Bay Area Municipal Elections Committee, which is a LGBTQ uh, pack in the four counties of San Mateo, Santa Clara, Monterey and Santa Cruz. So we're both very active in LGBTQ um, activist uh, community, both in China uh, and also in the Bay Area.
1: I, I can see I started to have feelings for girls when I was uh, 12 years old. But at that time during my whole uh, middle school, high school um, uh, time, I, I really tried very hard to convince myself that that kind of crush or relationship is a pure friendship. So, but after I uh, got into college, I uh, I had access to internet. I realized I, uh, I'm i no homosexual, I'm lesbian. <laughs> Yeah, after, uh, as I uh, become more and more comfortable with my uh, sexual orientation, I decided to tell my sister. So I, after I told my, uh, uh, that year I was uh, 25. And I told my sister I, uh, I was a lesbian. And she said her first reaction was, if you uh, wanted to go on this path, you should be financially independent. And uh, so she later helped me to, uh, for me to uh, come out to my mother uh, later. I never planned to tell my mom about my, yeah, uh, I'm I'm lesbian because uh, I I think she will never understand or accept me. And what happened was like my ex-girlfriend outed me to her. To my mom, hmm. because at that time my uh, my mom was uh, living with us to take care of our baby. That baby was um, we we did it uh, with a uh, you know, assistance of a sperm donation from my ex girlfriend's <laughs> fake gay husband, and that kind of arrangement. Uh, it's pretty common in China, you know. Uh, lesbians, gay, gay guys, uh, built build a kind of a fake marriage to uh, just for appearance, for appearances, for the society. So my uh, my ex girlfriend outed me to my mom on a, one night, and my mom was like, "Huh? No wonder. I I saw you guys are kind of no, no, um, you know, normal." And so your, uh, your, this friend is lesbian, Lucy is uh, lesbian, Jenny is uh, lesbian, not dentist is lesbian, uh, and uh, the, the college uh, teacher is lesbian. I was like, yes, they are all lesbians. You will been hanging out with them all the time. You like them. So- because I always uh, introduce my lesbian friends. I have my lesbian uh, friend circle. So I, I took them to my uh, home and my mom cooked for them. So a couple of days, uh, days later, my mom uh, came to us, like said, okay, for the sake of the baby, I accept this. Later my mom and, uh, become more and more supportive and, and uh, she outed uh, us to her sisters her uh, square dancing um, uh, bodies and uh, her own mother and uh, later she joined P flag in China
2: my coming out story uh, this is going back to the 1990s and I had like little boyfriends in middle school where you would hold hands and kiss and then I always found it gross and then I remember getting to high school and my female friends were like really excited about boys and I just wasn't And I just realized that like, it wasn't just holding hands and a little like kiss on the lips. It was like more than that. And that's where I was like, okay, no. (laughs) So, um, I, I had a crush on someone in high school, but it was, I was very closeted. I was very, um, internally homophobic, I would say. And, um, there was a speaker who came to my high school class for sociology for a whole week. And he was from the YWCA in Palo Alto. And his name was uh, uh, Damien. And and he gave a whole week of sex ed at Leland High School in South San Jose. And it wasn't just sex ed, it was also like health. So like suicide prevention, um, talking about depression, talking about eating disorders, talking about everything for a whole week. And he would talk about male to male and female to female without skipping a beat. And we were like, what? (laughs) Like it was so shocking. And um, and he gave us a whole list of um, phone numbers to call. And I ended up calling a hotline. <laughs> At the time they would call like gay and lesbian, right? It was It was less talking about LGBTQ. So it was like gay lesbian, uh, youth, hotline. So the first number was disconnected. And the second number, I reached someone, but they're like, okay, this is not exactly the right number. So on the very last day of the week of health and sex ed in sociology at Luland High School, um, I went up, he had already given us his business card for the YWCA. And I said, hey, Damien, two of your numbers are wrong. And my heart was beating so fast. I was so nervous. And he said, which two numbers are wrong? And I said, and i was trying to you know, play it cool. I said, I'm not going to tell you. So finally I circled the gay lesbian hotline numbers. I put the paper down on the table and I turned around to leave because it was the last time I was going to see him. And as I'm walking out the door, he said, Hey, you have my card. Call me. We're doing something at the YWCA. Call me. We're doing something with this. We have someone who can help. And um, it took me two weeks. I called him and he said, my colleague Carolyn Lobb is starting a gay youth support group at the YWC in Palo Alto. Carolyn Lobb at the time was a new graduate from Stanford. She went on to to start Gay Youth Alliance Network. I was in the room with like maybe a dozen gay, lesbian, as what we called it at the time, youth. And I said, I don't think that I'm a lesbian because I don't have short hair and I don't hate men. So that was like, that was where I was. It was the 90s. This is before Ellen DeGeneres came out. Like, this is just what I knew. There was no allies. There was no example of what it meant to live a full and complete and successful life as a lesbian. It just It didn't exist. So um, Carolyn was great. And I was in the room when they said, OK, let's name the group. And we named it Outlet. There was only a dozen of us and we named it Outlet. And Outlet actually exists to this day more than 20 years later. So I was part of the brainstorming group that came up with that name. And um, long story short, I met my first girlfriend at a gay youth dance at the Billy DeFrank Center in San Jose, California. I ended up coming out to my parents two weeks before Ellen DeGeneres came out on national television and watched Ellen DeGeneres' coming out episode with my parents who kept looking over at me to see my reaction. And I was the first person at Leland High School to bring my girlfriend, my same-sex date to um, senior ball at Leland High School. I wrote an article for my for my high school newspaper. I ended up being very deeply involved in helping to educate my peers about this issue, even though I was terrified myself. I just told myself to be brave. And it was, um, it was a long, long
0: journey. Let's share the moment you both fell in love.
1: Yeah, I uh, I still re- remember uh, that night, two thousand uh, twelve, uh, October 26. and uh, at that time, <laughs> at that time, I broke up with my ex girlfriend for three months. So I was hanging out in a lesbian bar with my group bunch of lesbian friends, almost maybe four nights on, uh, a week a lesbian bar, drink beer, you know. <laughs> And one night, I, uh, I, I was hanging out with my, uh, at my table with a group of my le- lesbian friends. Uh, it was really uh, late, I think maybe after 9 or 10 uh, p.m. And we saw a white girl, foreigner, we call it, foreigner, or walking to our table, Uh La white we call all uh, foreign, uh, yeah, foreigners like La Wai. So we we're like uh, uh, lesbians at our table uh, was like, wow, there is La <laughs> Wai, foreigner. And uh, we, we were like, say, uh, uh, say hello to her, we we're like, hey, hello. And uh, she was like, ni hao. We we're like, wow, you, you speak Chinese. <laughs> Okay, that happens that all the time when foreigners uh, interact with Chinese people. Yeah, we I only know how to say hello and she says Ni hao in Chinese uh and hello uh, you know in Chinese back. I was like, wow, you wow, this uh, foreigner can speak Chinese. So we um she sat down, we started to talk, and as I, I, I sat next to her and uh, as and we ask her questions right away. Oh, are you TLP? Are you single? And uh femme, you should say. Yeah. Oh, uh, are you a uh, Peach or fan? Are butch you single? Butcher fan. Oh, Butjo. <laughs> 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 are you single? Even today, uh, in today's China, if you go to lesbian bars, um, the uh, first question basically people ask you is uh, are you uh T or P, tomboy or uh, feminine uh, girl, because still in, uh, in China, I think now, uh, nowadays, in you know, the lesbian words, also in you know, the gay, gay guys world, we put people into categories. If you are tom- tomboy, you are supposed to looking for uh, P, uh, feminine girl. If you are feminine uh, girls, you are supposed to looking for tomboys. And, but of course, there, uh, there is a category called H we call H, H can go both uh, ways. Half. Half, H means half. But most popular ways ask, oh, you are, are you or P Because at that time, I identified myself as a tomboy. If you go to lesbian bars in, in Asia like, or China, you see tomboys everywhere. So I asked her and uh, uh, she, she basically told me she's a uh, H, like, which means um, you know in the middle and she uh, later basically told me she, uh, she does not like uh, tomboy. Not that
2: I don't like, I don't date.
1: She, she wouldn't date tomboy. And she also told me she's around uh, 31, uh, 32 years old and she's single. I was like, hmm, this is, uh, I'm looking for, you're single and uh, around the same age and uh, even though you don't like uh, tomboy, okay, I'm not tomboy anymore, I decided, on yeah. a uh, spa. I, okay, I'm, I changed my identity. So, you're age. <laughs> so, I'm age, about one really think uh, about myself. I'm truly age, both of us are age. So, uh, after that night, I, I keep uh, giving her um, pour more beer to her glass. This is a Chinese way of showing uh, interest uh, <laughs> pour more wine or alcohol to, into her glass. And she didn't get it, of course. And uh, after that night, I, uh, I saved her number. I started to, uh, to invite her to dinner or movie, uh, uh, to see movie together. And yeah, I, I started from there. I chased her for one week and uh, she rejected me. I'm telling, the, <laughs> I was telling this story in fast speed. She rejected me. So I gave up and also I don't know how to uh, chase people. I'm afraid of uh, to be rejected yeah. if you really yeah. want to Yeah, yeah. So so it's t- talk about love. It's like I, I liked her when I, uh, the first night I saw her. And after that we started to date and uh, for uh, uh, three and a half years. And yeah, that time we're uh, living in China or working in China. And I wouldn't. And we have uh, so many um, international friends around us, and they um, they gradually all uh, get married with their uh, Chinese uh, partners. But I was we're already together for almost four years. But I wouldn't ask her to to marry me. Why? Why, because, wouldn't, why wouldn't you, baby? Because I'm Chinese and she's American. I if I propose to her, it It feels like I I want a green card or something. I want to go to America. I wouldn't, I don't want to, Mm -hmm. I I don't, I I feel like it's not in my position to propose to Mm -hmm. her. I wouldn't do that. So there's a couple versions of this that
2: are both true.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: One of them is more political. I don't normally talk about it this way because I don't want people to think that the way we got engaged is because um, of politics, because our relationship was great. We were advancing. We were solid. We loved each other. And so then it became a question of, do we spend the rest of our lives together? And normally, um, in what I knew before that, we would have time to live together in the U.S., And have uh, and and see how she liked living in the US. And so I was in a unique position where it was like, we either like we get we get married. (laughs) And then after that, she sees how she likes living in the US. So from my perspective, I was also nervous. I was nervous to take you from your life in China. I wanted you to be happy here. I Mm -hmm it was both of us were hesitating. The first gay pride Michelle ever went to was San Francisco Gay Pride in the year 2013. 2013, 2013. Michelle had never, you had never met or talked to anyone who was not Chinese. And so our relationship had many cultural differences. And at the time, Michelle came to the US to see my life, to see who I was, to understand who we were culturally and how we were different. It was the most important trip ever. And that was Gay Pride San Francisco 2013. And it was her first time outside of um, mainland China as well. And we went to the Pride Parade early before, from the very beginning, and I translated every single float that went down the street for San Francisco. I said, okay, this is this organization, this is what they do. And I I really took time to explain, because like I said, I took, a, I took a gay history class and I had that foundational knowledge of the people who came before us to fight. So the way that we got engaged was me obsessively watching political news from China, worried about our future and our rights as a couple and realizing that the time to act was now. So there was nothing romantic about the way I proposed. It was literally watching the news. And I I talked to so many different people I trusted. And I said, you know, what it came down to is I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't take action. So I went to her and I, we had already had a plan to visit the U S um, for tourism on a trip. And we, and I went to her and she, you were totally surprised. And I said, we're, we're leaving to go to the U S in, in two months from now. Let's do it. Let's go to San Francisco city hall. Let's get married, call my parents. And it, It was just like that. It was like, okay, we have to do this. We have to do this now. We love each other. We want to spend the rest of our lives together. So it was unfortunately Trump who pushed me at that moment to propose.
0: So now that makes a whole lot of sense. You, you basically did the legal part, right? In San Francisco, Mm -hmm. Uh, you fly back to China and you have the ceremony. Another
1: year. Yeah. Yeah. So after I got married in uh, San Francisco City Hall in 2016, and uh, we uh, went uh, went back to China to uh, work and live there for another year, and we uh, because my my immigra- uh, immigration uh, visa requirements, I uh, w- we both need to move back to America. So I I uh, I decided before we. Uh, move back to America, I decided to have a openly wedding in China before we move back. Why? I, um, because I feel like I've been always really uh, passionate about LGBT rights in China. I uh, uh, worked volunteer for multiple LGBT gra- uh, grassroots organizations pro- uh, pro- provide pro bono work that kind of thing. And um, I came out to most of my friends already and the family members, but not in public, not on social media. But I saw, oh, if I move to America with uh, Pat and live there, uh, so many of my friends, clients, all these people, Classmates, connection, neighbors. connections in China, will think, hey, why uh, Who is that white girl with uh, Michelle or, all the time are together? Uh, how did you uh, get to America? Well, like, definitely people have questions. So I decided I let's hold a public wedding and uh, come out to the society, come, uh, come out to uh, the public. And I also we want to use this opportunity to uh, increase the uh, LGBTQ uh, visibility. And uh, but we, we are uh, still very very careful because uh, we had uh, we invited the general counsel of a U.S. consulate and the general counsel of Australia consulate and, and some French the consulate was there. Yeah, yeah, all this and uh, and we have so many legal professionals. uh, uh they are my friends uh, will be at our wedding. It will Chinese uh, it police will make, officers, Chinese judges, Chinese business leaders. Yeah, it will make this wedding very um sensitive to Chinese government. Kind of high profile. Totally, because the general counsel of uh, uh United States. So we kept the in the preparation of this wedding, we kept it totally low key, basically secretive, and we only invited all our um the the friends in in our life in our lives 120 people uh at the um, ceremony and uh, and we have after a ceremony we uh we had uh five at least five uh speakers to talk oh, more uh, than that it was yeah, like eight than, or
2: ten or something crazy yeah
1: and uh, and after uh the third the the, the third uh, uh agenda was uh dinner and uh, when we where the when outfit had, changes. Yeah, when we had our first dance, and uh, I we didn't see police show up at the hotel. We we feel like, oh, finally we can enjoy. Because our we dinner. could have gotten shut down. Yeah, because uh, that w- uh, that wedding wouldn't happen even the very next year at the same later. hotel, because the political uh environment uh, changes. The political climate got worse. It's more yeah more more and more uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. One more worse every every day, basically every year, and uh, um, so we we our, our wedding uh, was really you know different, and um, because we invited all uh, our um, uh, uh, as if a uh, straight uh, people's wedding, they don't need to worry about who to invite they're going to just invite their, all their friends. Like, so we do the same. So I think I can explain, I can
2: explain this part. Like if it's, if it's a, if it's an opposite sex couple, then they're going to have like their mom or dad walking them down the aisle and their aunts, uncles, cousins and their family and their neighbors and whatnot. But for same sex couples in China, there's, there's plenty of same sex weddings, even though it's not legal. However, um, It's usually, um, I I don't know a better word to use, but it's usually underground. It's it's more among, it's among the LGBTQ community and you don't have the family members there. You don't have the same kind of um, environment that you would for an opposite sex wedding. So I think what made this truly unique is that it was, you know, definitely like, what, what percentage of straight people would you say? 80%. 80% straight. And how many Chinese versus um, non-Chinese? I said 80%, 80%
1: Chinese. Maybe
2: 80% Chinese. Her mother walked down the aisle. Her grandmother gave her a red envelope. Her sister gave a speech. It, made, it truly felt like a straight wedding in that sense. It was like this, it was the real people in our real lives, colleagues, classmates, neighbors. Are we invited our landlord? It wasn't a gay wedding, if you know what I mean. It wasn't a. It wasn't an LGBTQ wedding. It was a wedding with the real people in our real lives. It wasn't underground, and we weren't expecting to make it so public. Although we wanted it to be about representation, we had a gay man's choir, twelve guys in matching tuxedos. Actually, we curated. They they participated in Global Pride. and Global Pride, they were one of the um, acts in Global Pride 2020 that we. We were able to um, um, connect um, artists from, I think, seven different cities, yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
2: seven different cities in mainland China to Global Pride 2020 original artists that we were able to um, have contribute to Global Pride. And that was a huge thing to do that. So we had a you know gay man's choir. We had three outfit changes. But we weren't expecting it to be so, so public. So one of our guests. At
1: we wanted to make it public after the wedding.
2: Happens. After the wedding. Yeah. But, but because there was a risk of being shut down. Yeah. So, so somebody was live streaming after the reception and she came up to us and said, there's 150,000 people watching live stream around mainland China right now. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what? <laughs> like we weren't going for that, but that wasn't our goal, but it was shocking. And it was like, oh, okay. And then later somebody, um, we had a few articles written about it. And and then mm-hmm. um, somebody did a film and that film um, in uh, was posted in, in a, on a Chinese uh, network, k- k- kind of like Twitter, the Chinese version of Twitter. It was posted on Valentine's day, 20, uh, I think 18, 18 or 19. Um, and that reached over 4 million viewers in China um, in like two months. And we think it's probably, it's, I'm sure it's over 5 million now. Um, and an overwhelmingly positive response. So what, what our wedding in China ended up being was this opportunity to reach people who had not seen what does it look like for a same-sex couple, especially an international same-sex couple to come together and celebrate their union with the real people in their real lives. And it isn't a secret, it isn't underground, it isn't just LGBTQ, it's just like anyone else getting married. And it ended up just becoming this huge thing and we just embraced it. We said, you know, this is not what we expected, but we can use this as an opportunity to show people what is possible because we felt like that was missing from the um landscape in China everything is so like um it ha- ev- these things happen in China it's just not
0: public last question for you so taking taking all of that and it's lesbian visibility week the importance of just being you
1: yeah I I basically uh, I'm proud to be lesbian uh I'm uh Doing uh increase uh, vis- increase uh LGBTQ visibility especially my in my daily kind of practice. I'm doing the, the Chinese immigrant community building uh, right now with uh, immigrants, and most of our members are straight people, but we uh make LGBTQ in uh, equality uh rights into our uh, right into our um, mission. I really want to. I, I go anywhere. I uh, because you, you uh, I think a lot of people know some immigrants uh, can be conservative, can be more you know reserved and conservative. So I, I can I can see this because of our um, uh, in our uh, community and uh, as a openly uh, lesbian, and uh, we have a, a group of very active uh, LGBT people in our uh, community too. I, um, like the members in our community, when they, in future, they have their kids. If their kids come out uh, to be LGBTQ, these people wouldn't disown their kids. I I, I could say uh, that because we still hear stories that um, some LGBT kids are disowned from their immigrant parents here in the Area. So I think we, I can, uh, I'm working uh, on that. I can make that changes.
2: So I'll just say that, talk about, I hear you say lesbian visibility. What does that mean? So of course, everyone knows we're queer, we're here, we're everywhere, right? Everybody knows that. But I think sometimes what's missing from these stories are these intercultural, cross-boundary, international stories where these stories exist and they're just not being told. And what I learned from, you know, my own experience with Michelle is just that sometimes just being yourself and having, doing what you would normally do, and, you know, um, can have a profound impact beyond what you can imagine, because perhaps those stories aren't visible otherwise. So just just by having that story exist in a space that where people aren't talking openly um, can be a kind of activism. It just just by living your life. And so I think that's where you and I are really on the same page is like, look, we're we love each other and we want to do this. And why not share it with the world? Why not show what's possible? Because Like I said, when I was in high school, I didn't have those stories. So I understand the impact of stories. I understand the the impact of just showing people what is possible. And especially, you know, our relationship is so improbable. We had to go through cultural differences. We had to go through language barriers. We had to go through legal regulations and, you know, green card process and everything. It's so improbable. And I think sometimes just people don't realize the power they have just by being themselves and sharing that story. It doesn't have to reach 5 million people. It can just be you being yourself and the impact that you have on just a few people. It's profound, actually.
0: Is there a way to translate Happy Lesbian Visibility Week in, in Chinese? la 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 Yay! Thank you, Pat and Michelle. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing, beautiful story and making history as a couple, getting married, and having the courage to be very open about it. Happy Lesbian Visibility Week. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to hear more episodes, head to enterprise.org. Also, you'll be able to find out all the information you need about the AGM or the annual general members meeting that is coming up this fall in Guadalajara we're so excited again that's enterpride.org this is enterpod a podcast by Enterprise, where the world comes together for the lgbtqia plus community